The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Eamon, thank you very much. You're listening to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock, and gives me great pleasure to welcome to studio a man called McGann, whose new book, Wolf Men and Waterhounds: The Myths, Monsters. A magic of Ireland. I should have with me, Mancom, but it is uh, being uh, tested, market tested by a nine-year-old in Kilkenny. Uh, and I'm not sure if you want to put this on the cover, but himself and his seven-year-old sister got into a fight about who could read it last night. So I think that that's that oh, is Kieran. that Yay. is a, 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 um, a ringing endorsement. I think with the book only out like for one day, really. That is the most positive thing I've ever heard. It's the first part that's gorgeous. Well, listen, it's it's a lovely book and um, amazing stories in it, and it's so well illustrated as well as have uh, your other books as well in recent years. Um, so, for people who are wondering what it's about, give us the blurb. The idea is that like. Ireland is full of these almost portals or thresholds. So it seemed to be that our ancestors believed there were places where we could access our, the other world. And they were everywhere. And so my book is an illustrated book of just maybe 18 or 20 of those. But really, in every county, in every region, there are just countless of places, you know, where either Tiernan Og was or one of the other mm, other worlds, the magical other worlds, or where the goddess Eru came out or the god Dagda, the good god, the god of all the other gods, or Maeve or, you know, everywhere there's these. I mean, like Kilkenny is particularly full of them, this idea that there were places you could encounter the other world. And so I just wanted to make a list of these, go a journey around Ireland, Deschel, so sunwise around Ireland from Dublin, starting going through Leinster, Munster, Ulster and Connacht, or probably Connacht and Ulster, and just look, finding all these places. And what what amazed me particularly about Kilkenny, you know, one of the whole area, I remember, you know, the, there was the, the the Bishop of Ossery in mm. Kilkenny, you know, and Oss is the deer. So it's the people of the deer, which is like, oh, it's almost shamanic, you know, it's like yeah. an indigenous thing. And so they had these, there were people who either worshipped the deer or hunted the deer or were some way connected to the deer. Their lineage, their totemic animal was the deer. And so as part of that, then the wolf was also the enemy of the deer. So there's all these wolfmen. The book is called Wolfmen and Waterhands because of these wolfmen that were in Kilkenny that the kings of Ossery said, were said to be descended from. And just what a beautiful concept that is, that there were people who actually said, and like even in the 12th century, the, the kings of Ossery, which was a region between, you know, Leash and Kilkenny, said we're descended from this one man, Lainach Fached, and he was half man, half wolf. And so if we're given this culture, this heritage that says there are animals and beasts out there that we are connected to and that the land has this spirit, has this life force, Mm. then like at a time where we're all deciding, God, how are we going to encounter and engage with Ireland as a land and with spirits? Like it's gorgeous that so many of these stories have survived. And what's what's amazing as well about uh, that is when the 12th century, I mean, uh, Ireland was a Christian land mm-hmm. and we still had people claiming this. So this is kind of pre-Gregorian revolutions where the church decides, you know, uh, in Rome, we, mm-hmm. we need a real top-down structure and we need kind of the McDonald's-ification so that, you know, the beauty of McDonald's is a Big Mac is a Big Mac yeah. is a Big Mac everywhere mm-hmm. in the world and they wanted the church to be the church <laughs> wherever you went. Mm-hmm. And wasn't this part of the problem was that the church in Ireland was infused with what had gone before. Yeah, yeah. Probably we only got the McDonald's of the church in the 19th century after the famine. (laughs) But before that, as you said, so many things. So like the stories obviously going way, way back of these 
these of just even the, the just even the, the otherworldly access and the beings of, of Kilkenny. And then when St. Patrick's comes along, it said there's another story that actually those wolfmen were turned into wolves by St. Patrick because they were the pagans. They were the people who had their own belief that there was a God in every leaf and every rainbow and mm. did not weren't particularly interested in this Christian God of, of Jerusalem. So they were said to have laughed at him, howled at him, and they decided, well, St. Patrick said, because you howled, I am going to make you into wolves forever. So in so many of these stories, there is a serpent often. Like So Kilkenny has the wolf, probably because of all that Norman influence, because werewolves are a kind of normal, yeah. they're more like a 12th century thing. Um, but we, before that, we had these pesht, you know, the old fish, the monster or the serpent of the deep. And they're everywhere. Like in Loch Ree in the Midlands, where where I'm living, uh, you know, near Westmead, there is this, um, the old fish, which is this pest who, again, some people say carved out the Shannon River. So there was a, you know, a paste, a serpent came through the lands, carving out the, the Shannon River, created Loch Ree because there were other monsters in Loch Ree, had this massive fight. And so he had to, you know, build a bigger sort of pool pit and that became Loch Ree. Now, I was interested in that story until last March. I was over in Australia and there was these Aboriginal elders taking me out onto the land yeah. and they were talking about the waggle, the serpent, the rainbow serpent that carved the big rivers of Western Australia and of Wadandi country of Margaret River. So the exact same story in Ireland, like in in Australia, they stretch back maybe 60, 65,000 years, at least 45,000. Mm. And we have our stories that stretch back. We've only been in, you know, there's people on the island 10,000 years and they might stretch back. Like, so these somehow ancestors way, way back believed this was a way of talking about the, how the land was formed. Yes. And we've kept it alive. So, so like even Loch Ree, there was priests in the 1960s who saw the serpent of Loch Ree and wrote a full account for the Inland Waterways, uh, the Inland Fisheries Board, saying it was exactly two metres long and that its face was a mi- half a metre wide and that it coiled in a shape. So priests, the most reputable people of all, were actually saying they saw an otherworldly being in Loch Ree in 1960. And uh, to what extent are there, so there's that commonality of human experience around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there also, though, kind of derivation uh, and uh, like... There's a story about these the three wildcats protecting the kind of the hellmouth, mm. and and yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm like the conspiracy theorist with all the strings on the map, mm-hmm. but I kind of read that and I was like, oh, it's like immediately, all right, there are three cats as opposed to a three-headed cat, but mm. there's a kind of a Cerberus yeah, yeah. connection. You know what I mean? Totally. That there's there there's there's a sense of a shared story there yeah. as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So you know, there's a catalogue of international folk tales, and um, you each one has a number. So like you can take any of the old stories from Ireland, and you go into this catalogue. It's on. Online. In fact, Dukas.ie, the, the website that collect, contains all our folklore, also has this catalogue of international folktales. You find the number, you'll find the same story in Africa, same story in South Amazing, America. Yeah. We're human, we are one people. And for some reason, despite that we all look different and even our skin has changed over the years, the stories have remained solid because stories are myth. And myth, it's so hard for us even to get a to get to understand the potent, potency of myth. Myth kept all our knowledge for thousands of years before writing. And myth connect us to the, to the soil, to the earth. And like at a time where we're so disassociated from the, from the soil. Um, and as you said, back to the Christian church, and we don't want, you know, in one way, Christianity is just another wonderful myth. You know? yeah. And so, but what's interesting is we, we, we cherished Christianity and brought it alive, but we didn't throw away any of the other things we had for thousands of years. And they're, they're still in, in our, they're still in Sahint, they're still in the conversation and they're still connected to particular places in the land. And But is that the challenge? Say for when a, historians often talk about this, that the challenge for them and the challenge for people reading history is to put themselves in the minds of people 
for whom kind of myth and reality there there wasn't the distinction we would have you know yeah. so so a historian talking about kind of some 5th century farmer in in uh, the kingdom of Ossory mm. you know you know the trap we fall into is you think about kind of their real world experience and the myths they believed in as mm. if they were kind of two distinct things yeah. but you know there was it was one and the same and yeah. that's that's hard sometimes though for us maybe kind of post christianity mm. to put ourselves into that mindset. It's really hard. And particularly like for you and me, we're, I don't know, we're kind of say we're the last generation that we're, we were educated entirely in this rational mind. So maybe for 100 years, for 50 years, 200 years, we decide to take on this rationality. And so our science and our and our medicine and our history and all that, you know, took on this rationality and we sort of forgot there was loads of other information. So let's say it, it's shocking. It's shaking up Australia at the moment where they realised, OK, they thought Aboriginal people had myth and just myth for nice. And they never connected the archaeologists and the anthropologists. And now they're connecting them. They're realising, oh, my God, the myth has actually scientific information about geological happenings, about star things that happened 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 years. And the same way we haven't really connected up Irish mythology and anthropology but even in the last few years people are realising like these there was the three great waves of Ireland these supernatural waves there's still stories told about them in Glandor mm. Harbour in Cork and up in up in, um, in County Antrim and now geographers are saying they actually could be folk memories of the floodwaters that were washing in 10,000 years ago when the first settlers were, were coming so not only is it interesting from a, a fun mythological monster sense but actually these could give us all sorts of information about things that happen with climate change with geological happenings thousands of years ago and we've ignored them the only thing at the moment we do with our myths either we teach them to kids in school in a really watered down washed out bland way <laughs> or we, give, so we, we throw them down the faces of American tourists when they come on a, on a coach tour around Ireland and I'm saying well yeah people are beginning to realise actually these stories are global and a lot of them are about goddesses. Like we at the moment tell stories about Cúchulain and Finn McCool, but most of them are older. They're about land goddesses, about Midda or about um, Eru or about Urn, these goddesses that were keeping the land alive and nourishing everyone. Is there a challenge when, when you're writing about it? And this is the hill of Ishnock in County Westmeath is the heart centre of our firmament, the central node around which the entire matrix of our existence revolves. He said mm. that. And I, so don't take this the wrong way. It kind of, someone who was kind of speaking in proto-fascist terms would use the same kind of description. You know, the blood and soil thing. And we often, we don't think of, we often focus on the blood element. But the soil is just mm. as important for them. And it is for you. And I know mm. you're not a proto-fascist. Yeah. Well, unless you want to kind of, it'd be a great <laughs> scoop actually at the moment. Now, yeah, exactly. think about it. No, but, but you know, so. It's it, so I, risky. Yeah. Because yeah. during the late 19th century and throughout the 20th century right, Hitler there was this idea oh yeah we are a pure people we are a people of gods and errands and we're so lucky that the, the, the MAGA hat wearing neo-fascists in America haven't really taken on Irish myth they mainly took on Scandinavian myth yes. now they've taken a bit of Cúchulain and some of their tattoos are sort of Irish and if it goes further like I said there's so many people in this field in Scandinavian Nordic lore and knowledge who have all of their knowledge taken by those people. Mm. If the MAGA hats and the right-wing people come to Ireland, my books are going to be the first books they take, you know, and I am going to be left with this dirt, blood on, this dirt on my face thinking, what, what did you give to the people? So particularly because, I mean, we have all of these connections with, um, with India, with the Vedic text in India, and that is a, that's exactly what Hitler was looking for, a yes. super race. So it's really hot. You know, it's a hot topic, it's a dangerous topic, but what should we do? Should we stay quiet to the fact that somehow we kept this mythic connection? And the more we stress um, that it's all about goddesses, 
the less likely that the the neo fascists are going to take. Yeah, so, that doesn't sit well with them. No, <laughs> the no, strong man. Yeah, Nietzsche's strong man. Yeah, but I am working a lot with like Aboriginal elders and Scandinavian elders, and they are warning me, Moncon. You know, you're innocent at the moment. You don't know what's coming down the track wow. if you if you re-emphasize the whole idea of land being sacred. So the people listening, be I'm not sure I want to expose my children to this proto-fascism. <laughs> that, that's not in the book. And no. like I say, my kids are fighting over it, so it's brilliant. So before we go, I want to kind of come back to it. How did you whittle it down to kind of 18 or so places? Yeah, the real thing I wanted was portals and thresholds to the other world. So places where all of the stories were saying otherworldly beings, good beings and bad beings are coming out and human beings can go into that area too. Because I just think when I was a kid, that's what I want to do. I want to escape into a magical world. And somehow, despite all the travails and the famine and everything we've been through, we kept that magical realm. So I just focused on places which were obvious portals to access the beyond. Well, listen, it's a, it's a great book. And listen, maybe a great tour guide as well for people who want to visit some of them um, around the country because I know that's something you'd like people more to do as well, to actually see these places. And you might see those uh, three wild cats preventing your access to the underworld. Mancom McGann is the author of Wolf Men and Water Hounds, The Myths, Monsters and Magic of Modern Ireland. Mancom Caramila, thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, for coming into studio. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.